despite many uh, distractions during this season, you know, we, we all know, um, I'm sure many of us have like a company, like year-end parties uh, that you may be attending. <laughs> we even have a Christmas party, right, this coming Saturday. Um, with all these you know, sales going on and all these things, during this Advent season, the proper posture for us should be that of waiting, waiting expectantly for the coming of our King Jesus. I remember uh, the days, uh, weeks leading up to my marriage, this long waiting and just kind of, you know, you're just planning things. It's kind of crazy, but you are just, you just can't wait, right, to just stand on the altar and just say, I do, and be committed to my wife. Just that I just remember that, that, that um, the feeling of anticipation of what is about to happen, right? very excited, and just, I just can't wait for that time. And that's the kind of like, mindset that we are to have as Christians, to wait expectantly. And that is the, the, uh, the posture that we are to maintain during this season. Really encourage you to make really time to ponder upon God, the Father sending his son. I know we are busy. Um, for me, too, at work, it's really hectic time. So I really have to make a conscious effort. But oftentimes, even a time like this where we gather together is a time for us to once again slow things down, let everything fade away to the background so that we can once again remember and think about the meaning during, uh, 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 of this Christmas. You know, parents... You will be, if you're a parent, right, you will be extremely upset if your child is bullied at school. I remember uh, many, many, many years ago when I was a youth pastor at this church, I was, uh, after the, the ser- Sunday service was over, I was in my office, and a couple of the kids were just running in. I was like, Pastor Woodrow, you have to come. I was like, what's going on? There is this parent that is like, uh, hitting uh, 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 one of us. I'm like, what? I can't believe this. And so we, 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 uh, we just ran out, and there was this one gentle, uh, this uh, adult ma- uh, man was yelling at this per- uh, one of, our, one of our, my student, students, right? And that as I was, I was running there, I saw him, like, kick him, right? I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I was like, hey, you got you to gotta stop this, right? And the reason why is because his son was being bullied. He, he was like a little big guy. So his son told him that he was being bullied, right? So that really enraged. He, he's a, he was a deacon at the time, and he just could not restrain himself, and he had to go and basically like kick him, right? I was like, hey, it doesn't matter how upset you are, you cannot do that, right? And so I had to stop him, and then I reported to the, to the church leadership, I don't think anything came of it because I, I didn't hear of any church discipline. And I mean, that's like battery, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe PJ would know. But I was like an adult that was kind of, you know, just kind of doing that to a, a, a minor. But anyways, um, you know, you, you, as a parent, think about your own child, right? When they were young especially, maybe in their elementary school, middle school, high school, and then you hear that your own child is being bullied, right, at school, you'll be really upset, right? You would try your best to restrain yourself, but the last thing that you would do is to give that punk, 
a meaningful or precious gift. Right? You would never think of it. And if that kid somehow gets, you know, he did a lot of bad things and so he gets sentenced, you would never think of sending your son, right, in his place so that he can be locked up for life. Right? That would never happen. But isn't that what the Father has done for us in a way? That he gave his only begotten son to us who deeply offended him. If you think about what uh, the meaning of this, you know, during this Advent season, that's something that we should kind of think about, even though we hear it all the time. If you're a parent, think about that. Would you do something like that to someone who really did something terrible to your own child? You know, Christmas makes us happily material. And salvation is not about escaping from this world or leaving this world altogether. It is really about the coming, or, or it's, it's just about the kingdom of God coming into this world. In a world full of pain and darkness, God says, I am sending my son, my only son, so that people may come to know, know me, come to know him, and to believe in him. Christmas shows us that God does care about this world. This, in the end, is his creation. All of this world is his creation. By coming of his son, what he's essentially saying is, I am not abandoning you. I am sending my son for your sake. Come back to me. That is a message that God is sending, by, uh, sending to us by sending his son. The future of the gospel is a new heaven and new earth. Scripture tells us there is a whole new reality waiting for us. There is an inheritance, eternal inheritance. There is a crown of life, the crown of, a crown of righteousness that we will receive. And there will be an unending worship. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you truly belong to him, then we have some amazing things to look forward to. And all of this was set in motion by the coming of King Jesus to us. So I want us to just kind of just think about it, let it sit, uh, sit in, settle in, in our hearts of the meaning of Christmas. And today, we'd like to focus on one aspect of his kingship. The passage that we read here is part of a messianic prophecy. You know, from chapter 7, Isaiah has been making some amazing disclosures in the name of the Lord. Isaiah 7, verse 14, which is very uh, familiar to us, says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. As a sign to us that God is sending his son, God with us. The son of God being God himself, 
would be sent to us. And so he's been revealing all these things, and these have come to a climax in these two verses that we read today. You know, verse 6, it mentions four royal names of the Messiah, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Even the word, uh, I mean, we wouldn't have time to go through all of them, but even Wonderful Counselor, it has an overtone of deity. You know, we really, um, as, as the, the preachers, like we are to explain the whole counsel of God, the will of God. So even the word, the title, Wonderful Counselor, is talking about, referring to deity. And he is, my, the, uh, the Messiah is mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So these names express divine qualities of the Messiah. And in the context of these four titles, the, actually the climax comes with Prince of Peace. And its implications are spelled out in verse 7. And what's really striking is because we, 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 we didn't go through the whole book of Isaiah. What is really striking is in the preceding chapters, Isaiah already prophesies that the Assyrians, they are the, the, the most fearsome, dreadful, powerful nation known at that time. The Assyrians are coming to Judah they're the just, uh, just unstoppable force, and they would impale people, right? Their whole strategy was to like, intimidate the people. If they were conquered, boy, you can get skinned alive. Um, and they just did some terrible things. So the neighboring countries, they would be so afraid of these powerful people, Assyrians, as part of the judgment, right? God is saying through Isaiah, the Assyrians are coming to Judah. So the war and suffering are imminent. They are in a really desperate situation. So put yourself in their shoes, right? You know, really like, uh, if you live during the time when you hear that the Assyrians are coming to get you, how would you you feel? It's really kind of hard for us to really uh, understand or imagine but just imagine like the Russia, China, and Iran all together decided to declare an all-out war on America. And they said, we are coming after you, right? All three of us, we're going to just combine all of, all of our forces coming after you, right? This is in a really desperate situation. So it's really dark. It's kind of depressing to hear or just to go read through these verses and hearing the, the prophecies by Isaiah. And then... This reality actually directs his eyes to the coming Messiah. And he says here, this Messiah that we are waiting for, that that we're desperately waiting for, is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Prince of peace. So it is an emphatic declaration that the Messiah is Prince of Peace in view of what is to come, what is about to happen upon them. And this Prince of Peace, he establishes peace, he seeks it, and he pursues pursues it. You know, peace is a word that everyone likes to throw around, right? 
um, I mean, this is like, it happened like many, many years ago, back, maybe back in the 80s or whatnot, but in a typical like Miss Universe pageant, right? You know, they go through all this, uh, you know, process and then, and then uh, one of the last things is the interview part, right? And so the interviewer uh, uh, in those days would ask something like, if, uh, to each contestant, right? Like, if you have one superpower or one thing that you can do to change in this world, what would that be? And inevitably, most contestants would say something like, world peace. And when, you, when people, when they people are, ah, yeah, world peace, world peace, it's awesome, right? That's such a typical answer. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know, I haven't kept up with it. But when I watch a couple times, that, that's what the, what, the, uh, what the answer was like. Whenever you say something about world peace, it's a good answer, good answer, right? Even uh, just, you know, tells you how old I am, but, you know, grew up, you know, listening to John Lennon's song, Imagine, right? And, you know, in, in that part, the, 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 the lyrics goes, you know, imagine all the people living life in peace, yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh. you know, you may call that I'm a dream. Oh, anyways, so uh, you know, people love to talk about peace. I mean, is there anyone in the world who does not want peace? Like, who doesn't, right? But you know, if we are honest, even for us Christians, the phrase "peace on earth and goodwill to men," even that sounds more more like just a slogan or something that you would just uh, some kind of like. You know, some, like a sticker they can put on your bumper, or something, uh, words that you can use on your Christmas card that you are about to send out. Right? It's like, peace on earth, goodwill to man. Sounds very Christian, right? It sounds just a little more than that. But as Pastor Jay talked, uh, explained, the peace in Hebrew, shalom, which means an absence of strife, and that's that what most people would define peace as, but it goes beyond that, right? It also means completeness, fulfillment, or wholeness resulting in unimpaired relationships. Having the wholesomeness, completeness, harmony, fulfillment resulting in unimpaired relationships. You know, if you go to uh, actually Isaiah chapter 11, verse, verses 6 through 10, it says this, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nurturing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adders then, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water, waters cover, uh, cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a sign, a signal for, uh, for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be Glorious. It is a description of what shalom would look like. 
I mean, it sounds really fictional, right? <laughs> Can you imagine like a lion and a fattened calf sitting together and lion just sitting there? Hey, nice to see you, right? I mean, one of the effects of sin is really that that has really, the curse of sin has come upon not only us, but even this whole world. We are under the suffering. So maybe the lions, you know, they just can't help as a carnivore, have to just eat other animals. But there comes a time when there is a true shalom is established, that there would be this unimpaired relationships, where even the, the goats and the leopards, leopards would sit together without harming each other. And this shalom also implies lasting peace or eternal peace, not just temporary cessation of fighting and conflicts. In this world, world uh, cessation of warfare does not simply bring about peace, as we know. At any moment, things can flare up. Right? Just because there isn't any conflicts at the moment does not mean that there is genuine peace. It's fleeting, very uh, temporary. Why? It's, the scripture tells us it's because of our sinful nature. When the cause of conflict human sin is removed, then there can be true peace. But for human sin to be removed, there must be a state of peace, shalom between God and man. Not only man must be at peace with God, but more importantly, God must be at peace with man. The enmity that had existed between God and man, has to be removed first. It was human sin. It's our sin that had kept God at enmity with us. When that sin is removed, then there can be shalom, the genuine peace. Romans 5 verse 1 says this. If you can turn to that one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We would have that completeness, wholeness, the way God has meant, uh, meant uh, intended from the beginning. But the sin, because of the fall, we've been at odds or we've been at enmity with God. And the Prince of Peace is one who is the very embodiment of peace. He's the one who has procured that peace for us. Through his sacrifice, he has satisfied the claims of the absolute justice so that God in perfect justice can now declare that the sinner can stand in a right relationship with himself. Because as a just God, he had to really absolutely satisfy the demands of, uh, of being right. But because of our sin, we could not. But when the Son took our place, then when God saw that, he said, now it is done. You, my Son has satisfied the demands of the justice. So he is now absolutely justified in calling us or making us be right with him through the sacrifice because he took our place. 
being at peace with the sinner, God could pardon that sinner and give to him the peace. And that is a divine gift. And what a gift it is. A completely unimpaired relationship with God. What a gift that is. You know, when we look at our lives, right, in every meaningful relationship that we have in this world, we've had, we've had our share of letdowns, hurts, brokenness, damages. Right? Think about your own relationship with your spouse, if you are married. Think about your relationship with your child or your relationship with your parents. We love them dearly, and they love us. But that does not mean that our, there have been some damages that's been done. We've been let down. We've uh, disappointed each other. We have hurt each other. Even at work, the relationship with the clients or the boss or the, the people, co-workers that we work with. You know, at my, at my work, we did a, this uh, anonymous survey. And so just to see, like, where we are. And, you know, just because, you know, I started this march. And so uh, I thought, not knowing everything that was going on, I thought they were pretty together, uh, this nonprofit. And, you know, so they have their own vision of how, like, uh, like how to really, like, you know, make changes and make life better for the people on the fringe, right, marginalized. And so they're like pretty gung-ho, and um, most of them are in their 20s, right? You know, they're just done with their MSW, and um, so I thought, uh, it, it, yeah, they're people from like different backgrounds, um, like, like Malaysian, like Pakistani, uh, like Bangladeshi, and like you know, Chinese, Korean, um, like, you know, Filipino, and all this, and, but you know, Every time we gather together, it's like we're having fun. I was like, oh, so it's pretty. And they're so consumed with their passion, right, and their mission, what is the, the world and the society should look like. So they're so driven by it. But I was so surprised to find out in the, in the, the anonymous survey that there were, like, conflicts, that they have really hard time getting along with each other. I'm like, really? I, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just so kind of slow, but, you know. But anyways, I thought people were together, but... There's so many like letdowns and hurts. Everywhere we look, uh, look, we have broken relationships that we have to mend. However, not our relationship with God anymore. What was once shattered by our sin, and that which was impossible to accomplish on our own, having that unimpaired, undamaged relationship with God, that was impossible. It was a pipe dream. It has been restored by Jesus Christ on the cross. He says, he declared, it is finished. It's been paid off. It's paid in full. What it achieved was this unthinkable possibility of shalom with God. When the peace of God is in our hearts, then there will be peace in this world. True peace comes to us because a child was born, a son was given to us. And the child and he alone is the prince of peace. 
We must go to him if we want peace. And the question is, then do you have that peace? That peace with God? The late uh, Chuck, uh, Charles Colson, uh, he was, back in the day, he was, uh, he was in the Nixon administration, and um, it was the people who worked there, they called him the hitman. I mean, he basically like, did all the dirty work. And, and he, he says that, uh, that he was power hungry, right, during the time. And then, um, you know, many of us may know, like, you guys heard of the Watergate, right, the scandal. And he was very involved in that. So he basically pleaded guilty, and so he was sent to prison. And in the prison, that's when he started reading the book, uh, C.S. Lewis, and Mere Christianity, and that really rocked his world. And that's where he... At a later time, says that he really, you know, started to seeing what Christianity is about. Because before then, he was power hungry. He was it was all about how can we just hold on to power. And you know, being in in the very, he was a special counselor to uh, President Nixon. So he was as a one powerful guy that a lot of people did not even come. They didn't want to just approach him or offend him in any way. He was one powerful man. He was blind, blinded by the lures of power. But once he finally came crashing down in the cell, in the prison, he came to realize his life, he's been living for the wrong things all this time. What good is power? When it's an illusion. And he came to know Christ. Yes, there are things that I would not agree with him, and some of the things that he's done, but you know, one of the things that he's done, just respectable things that he's done, was to create this uh, thing called prison fellowship. So he, being in prison himself, realized how desperate the situations were, and just the, the, all the reforms that people were thinking of wasn't going to truly bring about genuine change in the inmates. He came to realize only when you have peace with God, when you have shalom with God, that's the only way that these, you know, really scary like inmates can truly become people that, can really, that, that God has meant, uh, meant, meant them to be. So he started that, that fellowship. And throughout, after his life, he became a very uh, vocal, like a leading voice among the evangelical circle. But all of that took place because he was, in the end, was able to find the shalom with God. For some of us here, you may have been coming in and out of the church. You may have a lot of, you know, so-called knowledge. Maybe you have, like, the bits and pieces of information that you have in your mind. But has it really truly come together it, where it clicked where you say, Wow. I need to have this shalom with God. Do you truly have the peace with God? Or do you still, in the back of your mind, still, ah, I don't know about this. Because my life, it's got to go my way. It has to just plan out, depend out the way I want. But it is not. You're restless. Trying to still, to somehow chase after the illusion of power and control in your life. Never letting go never really having this shalom with God, a peace with God, 
but more importantly, God having that peace with you. Has he, he offered his son to us. So the ball is in our court. What are we going to do about that? Do you have that peace? And in verse 7, talks about a Messiah's reign being perpetual and progressive, and there will be an increase in peace. And as it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Notice here that the increase of his government and peace are mentioned together. Throughout history, kingdoms got bigger. The increase of their government came by way of war and conquering others. Think of Think about how Babylonian, Persian, Roman, British Empire, empires became dominant in their times. It was through by force. It wasn't through peace. They had to conquer. They had to destroy others. They had to just impose their will on those other people that are not cooperative. That's how they got bigger and established their empires. But unlike any kingdom, this one will grow, increase through peace, through the gracious working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men, and through the preaching of the gospel. And the scope of this kingdom is not temporal or local because the kingdom itself is eternal. It is universal. And given the situation or what was happening uh, even back then with the Assyrians that are looming on the horizon, what will accomplish this? How is it even going to be possible? At the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Nothing other than the zeal of the Lord of hosts The zeal that you know, the, 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 the zeal that has you know, he has, you know, that has for his own honor, will bring about this result. It's talking about God's determination to protect divine honor and to vindicate the divine purposes. Yes, the zeal of the Lord can mean that that God's care for His people. He loves His people. And he's taking care of it so that he's zealous. There is a, a zeal for, for his people. So that will accomplish it too. But more so, it's because he is consumed and he will, he's determined to protect his own honor and, his, and accomplishing his purposes. He will not dishonor himself by going back on his words or changing his mind. As we learned many, uh, we talked about many times before, immutability of God. God will not change. God will not, you know, just, he has no turning. He will stay the same, constant. He's absolutely committed to accomplishing this. 
That's why this will take place. And Christ came as promised and fulfilled this prophecy. And it is this Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we worship and live for. And in this season, we celebrate his coming. So as we think about this, may we have a proper posture before God. Because this Prince of Peace has come to offer himself to us who are so restless, who are so consumed with our own self-interests, consumed with our own building up our own kingdom, trying to advance our agenda while we're yet enemies of God. The Father sent his Son to be sacrificed on our behalf so that actually we are the ones who should have been uh, really just trying to reach out to God for peace with him, to reconcile with him. But we just could not because of our sinful nature. But through the sacrifice by God himself, the Son of God substituting himself, taking our place to, to receive the righteous wrath of God the Father, now the door has been wide open, and now we have this full access to the Father and have this shalom that none of us can ever achieve on our own. And that should cause us to be joyful, thankful for. That what really pr should prompt us to say, now let me live my life for the one who's given himself for, for my sake. May that be our posture during this Advent season as we remember he is the Prince of Peace that we've been waiting for, that we truly needed, and that precious gift has been given to us. May we receive it with thankfulness and continue to live our lives in a life of worship. Let's go before the Lord. Let's uh, pray.